We're going to continue on with our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we left off last week with uh, long-suffering and gentleness. We'll finish gentleness and we'll continue on with goodness. Uh, but again, to recap, uh, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, they are a manifestation of the character of God in our lives. They are not something that is resident in us. In fact, uh before Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the works of the flesh. That is what is resident within us naturally. As fallen human creatures, we have no hope of attaining to the character of God of ourselves. But with the Spirit of God resident in us, we can not only hope for but it is God's desire and will for us to manifest His character. It is His desire and will for us to become Christ-like. That is His will for every creature. First, that they be saved, and then afterward, that they attain unto Christ-likeness. Not that we become God, not that we can speak things into existence and decide right and wrong and all of that, but we can reflect His character. We can, we can give this world an accurate reflection and demonstration of who God is because of His Spirit in us. We cannot attain unto them ourselves. They are produced by the Holy Ghost. And they can only be manifest as we are submitted to Him and attached to the one true vine. If we are not attached to Jesus Christ, His life will not flow through us. His character his power and authority will not flow through us. But if we stay attached to the true vine, it's like any, any growing thing. We chopped off a bunch of limbs yesterday. They are dead now. It's an interesting uh, phenomenon that they don't always immediately reflect that. We chopped them off, and they still look just as alive as they were a minute ago. Still had green leaves on them. Still had every sign of life. But they're dead. They're chopped off from, from the roots. And so, when we separate ourselves from God, and we start going our own way, doing our own things, it is an equally interesting phenomenon that we don't always reflect death either. We can continue on for some time, it seems, portraying godliness, righteousness, in large part because most of us, we know how to act. We know what to say. We know how to respond. But the life-giving presence of God is gone from us. And so it's only a matter of time afterward that we begin to reflect that in the natural. We have to stay attached to Jesus Christ. We can't do this alone. We can't do this without His help. Under grace, we're prohibited from both legalism and license. 
The legalism of the Old Testament is gone. The, nece- the necessity of legalism from the Old Testament is gone. God has written His laws, His character in our hearts now. They can come from out inside of us. They can come out from us naturally. Not forced, not uh, enforced externally, but because we desire to, because we want to. God has placed in us a desire and the ability to please Him. <clears throat> that protects us from both legalism and license. Legalism, because the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, we understand in our society today, <laughs> we have so many laws on the books. And so many more being put on the books each and every day. And the reason for that is because no one will enforce themselves. No one will self-govern. No one will discipline themselves to do what is right. And so we need bigger and bigger police forces to enforce externally the laws that ensure a civilized society. We shouldn't need that. As a Christian society, assuming everybody in the United States were Christian, we would be able, through the Holy Ghost, to govern ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to do what is right. Not because the law says so, but because it pleases my Savior. And that's why we do these things. That's what our motivation is, to please God. And so when we're full of the Holy Ghost, when we're attached to the true vine, we're protected from legalism. We don't need that external uh, enforcement because we're doing it already anyway. And it protects us from license. We're not going to do just whatever we want because we're the, the law doesn't matter anymore. That's not true either. There is a law written in our hearts. And that is what we enforce ourselves through the power of God. We enforce the law of God because we have the character of God. God will never break His law. It's not because He's trying to set an example for us. He does set an example for us. But He's not trying to keep the law. He does that naturally. That is a natural reflection of who He is. That's just who God is. That's how He he operates. He is love. He is righteousness. He is peace. He, He reflects all of these things naturally. So license isn't an issue. We're not going to go off in in hoo-hoo land doing whatever we want to do because we have the law of God written in our hearts. And that is enforced ourselves because we have a desire to please God. Moving on to uh, gentleness. We talked about long-suffering. I'll recap that really quick. Long-suffering has two aspects, endurance and patience. Uh, Endurance, uh, we can endure hard times. We can endure affliction. And patience, we can endure it gracefully. We will not become angry. We will not become upset. We will not become uh, resentful 
or in any way uh, vengeful when, when these things transpire in our lives. We will suffer them gracefully. Why? Because that's the character of God. We see the character of God manifest in the life of Jesus Christ. How did he suffer affliction? When they threw jabs at him on the cross, he didn't throw it right back at him. Yeah, well, you wait and see, Pharisee. In three days, you're going to get it. That wasn't in his heart. That wasn't in his spirit. All he could say was forgive them. And he, when they looked on him with hate and anger, he looked on them in love and compassion. Moving us to gentleness. Gentleness is defined as goodness or kindness. Most translations translate this word uh, in Galatians chapter 5 to kindness. So what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be gentle? There is an aspect of, of it being manifest in good deeds, doing good deeds for other people. But to be perfectly honest, people out in the world do good deeds. It goes quite a bit beyond good deeds. Um, (laughs) A start would be good deeds to someone who hates your guts, who despises you, doing something good for them, responding to anger with soft words, with a peaceful spirit. Repaying evil with good, as the Scripture exhorts us to do. There is a story that I heard. It's not my own. I heard it from someone. I can't remember who or where. Uh, But the story goes as follows. There was a young man who enlisted. He joined the service, joined the army, like him already. And he went in, he went through basic. Sorry, Brother Shepherd. <laughs> he went through, he went into basic training. And he was a Christian. So he did what Christians ought to do. He was praying. He was reading his Bible when he had some downtime. And he was talking to people about God. Well, there was a big southern boy there. <clears throat> and he was, Most certainly not a Christian. He was, from what I understand of the story, the archetypical bully. Big, powerful, and loud, and obnoxious. And when he found out that this guy was a Christian, that was his new target. He made life miserable for this guy. He would put stuff in his locker during inspections, so that he'd fail inspections. I mean, he would, he would do everything he could to make this guy's life miserable, simply because he was a Christian. But the guy, he, he never responded to it. He never, he never got angry. He never shot back. Never did anything. So, of course, the bully took it as, the guy's a coward. He's weak. And 
kept pouring it on, pouring it on. Well, one night, uh, after uh, they got done with their super long road march, they got everything taken care of, and it was time to go to bed. So our Christian friend took that time to pray. And it was an open barracks at the time. And so this guy heard him. And he cussed him out and told him to shut up. I'm trying to sleep. He kept praying. So finally, the guy took his boots and threw them at him. Hit him hard. Hit him pretty good. Rolled over and tried to go back to bed. Well, he stopped praying. In the morning, everyone woke up, and this bully found his shoes spit-shined sitting at his bed. After that, something broke in this big bully. And from that moment on, they were best friends. And if anybody said anything about his praying or his reading a Bible, they would get beat. And everyone knew it. The point of the story is this. We're not manifesting this fruit for ourselves. We are manifesting this fruit so that we can accurately portray Jesus Christ to this world. We are called to accurately demonstrate Jesus. It's fine to talk about Him. It's fine to tell people about Him. But it's another thing altogether to be able to demonstrate Jesus when they're expecting an entirely different demonstration altogether. This bully saw who Jesus really was at that point. He had never seen anything like that before. He had never been witness to a true Christian. That's why he hated them so much. But when we allow God to shine through this way, God can do all kinds of amazing things in people's lives. One guy said, I don't know if I agree with this 100%, but the spirit of it remains true. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Of course, the point is, our actions talk a whole lot louder than our words do. I've said before, and I think it's true, It's not fair that when people find out you're a Christian, now you're under the microscope. But the corollary of that, the opposite end of that is, that gives us an awesome opportunity to really show what Christianity is. Christianity isn't coming to church a couple times a week. Christianity isn't listening to a sermon every week. Those things are good. Those things ought to be accomplished, but that's not what defines us. That's not what Christianity is at its essence. Christianity is being Christ-like. Christianity, to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like. 
an anointed one. We are called to continue on, carry out the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. What he did, we ought to be doing also. How he acted and responded is how we ought to act and respond also. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. Christianity is not for timid people. If you're a coward, you're probably going to fall off. I'm just going to throw it out there. Thankfully, God will give us a spirit of courage. We don't have to be courageous of ourselves. A lot of times we're fearful in and of ourselves. But again, through the Spirit of God, we can have courage. We can have faith to believe God for all things. <clears throat> but Christianity is, is more than this. This is good. This is right. We ought to be doing this at this point in time. But Christianity is demonstrating Jesus. Christianity is being Christ-like and showing this world who he is. Not just talking about him. All kinds of people talk about who Jesus is. There are secular historians who talk about who Jesus is accurately. But who's demonstrating him? Who's showing people who Jesus is? That ought to be you and me. We need to do that. How can we demonstrate this level of kindness? Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4 states this. And this is talking, this is a prophecy of Jesus. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. We see instances in Scripture where Jesus Christ gets angry. He gets angry at the money changers. Angry to the point of being violent. <clears throat> he gets angry or, yeah, he gets angry. Definitely frustrated with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers. But with the quote-unquote common person, with the sinner, the harlot, the publican, the tax collector, he is extremely patient, extremely loving. And the Bible refers in prophecy to Jesus Christ as someone who is very careful to heal and not to harm. Even when he overthrew the money changers, even when he was uh, condemning the Pharisees for their, their, their attitudes and their ideas on the law, even then it was his desire to lead them closer to truth. He got angry with the money changers, but he loved the money changers. He loved them. When he hung on the cross, he died for them too. He loved the Pharisees. He got angry with them. He rebuked them a few times. 
but he loved them. Everything he did, everything he said was out of love. It wasn't out of a, uh, an attitude of vengeance or a desire to get even or to, to vent. Jesus doesn't vent. He doesn't get even. If he got even, folks, let me tell you something. It would be like this, and it would be complete. It would be absolute. If he had an attitude where he wanted to get even or get revenge, he's all-powerful, folks. I mean, if he gets even with me, I'm done. And that's it. I am done. He doesn't get even. He loves us. And if he rebukes us, or he criticizes us, or he uh, disciplines us, it's not because we're... Got to be careful here. It's not because God considers us uh, evil people and he, he wants to make an example of us or he wants to, uh, he's so angry with us, he's, he's, he's got to do something. As parents, I've been angry with my children. I was wrong. I'm not proud of that. But I've been angry with my children. And I think if my children were up here, they'd say the same about me. They've probably been angry with me. But as a parent, I ought not be angry with my children. I ought not discipline to relieve my anger. But as human beings, we do that sometimes. God never does. He never does. He is very careful to heal and not to harm. If he's doing something, if he's allowing us to go through something, if we face a situation uh, that after prayer we realize, I'm not here because I've done something wrong, I'm here because of the will of God. Then we can be assured and we can be thankful, no matter what situation we're in, that this is for my best. This is a good thing. I'm not enjoying myself. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not on vacation right now. But this is going to work out wondrously for me because God put me here and He wants the best for me. His attitude on the cross was, Father, forgive them. When they were actively ridiculing Him, They weren't just looking on him with scorn and ignoring him. They showed up to the crucifixion for one reason. To mock him to death. To ridicule him until he was gone from the earth. And they'd, if they could have, they'd have probably spit on him and danced on his grave. They despised him. But before I throw the first stone at him, my attitude was largely the same way before I came to the Lord. I would never have thought that in my heart. If asked, I would have said, I love God. 
I was Lutheran. I felt like I had a relationship with him. But my actions said otherwise. I didn't do anything that was pleasing God. And he loved me. He loved us when we hated him. He loves us when we doubt him, when we don't trust him. You know, it is so, I wasn't going to say funny, but really it's sad, that we are so slow to trust the word of the Lord. And we are so quick to mistrust him. We are so quick to doubt him, to doubt his character. If we're in a situation and we get it in our minds that it's because God doesn't love me. It's because God is, is he's seeking justice right now against something I did. We believe that so easily. We believe it very quickly. But when it comes to something good, a promise that God has given us. We don't believe it. And yet He loves us. And He continues to be patient with us. We can respond this way again because His Spirit is resident within us. Again, that is not natural with us. It is natural with God. And so when we have the Spirit of God in us, that becomes a natural reflection and a response to situations that we're in. We're built upon the Word of God, which teaches us this principle. We respond to the Word of God by submitting ourselves unto it. We see that Jesus did the same. Jesus was God. He was holy God. But as our example, he submitted himself to God's word. The word of God is I don't have the time to fully and completely explain how important the Word of God is. How important God's Word is. When the Bible says that it is the rock upon which we build our lives, that we ought to build our lives, this rock establishes itself all the way down all the way down. We need to know the Word of God. We need to submit ourselves unto it. Okay. Uh, moving on to goodness. Excellent. 
Okay, Luke 18, verses 18 and 19 says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is, God. Okay, so we see from this verse that only God can be good. People cannot be good. And we've talked about this in, at length in earlier messages. And it, it, it disturbs some people to hear that there are no good people. Not in the biblical sense. Now, according to the world, you know, according to our standards of, of right and wrong, Let's take a step back to understand that righteousness with God is all or nothing. Okay, the Bible teaches us that if we're guilty at one point of the law, we're guilty of all of the law. If I have committed in my life only one little white lie, and that was it, in every other area I was perfect, perfectly righteous. I, I, I kept all the law except for that little white lie. It doesn't matter. I'm guilty before the law. With God, it's guilty or innocent. Not guilty of such and such. Not innocent of so and so. Guilty or innocent. Because God is perfectly innocent. He is perfectly righteous. That's the standard. That's the standard that we need to attain to to make it to heaven all on our own. If we can do that, we don't need Jesus. We can do it ourselves. Make sense so far? If I can be perfectly righteous from the time I was born until the time I die, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. But if I sin one time, if I break the law once, then I am guilty of all of it. And I stand in judgment. Okay, that's God's, that's God's view on guilt and innocence. We have an entirely different view. We have levels of, of crimes. We have misdemeanors and we have felonies and, and, you know, substrata within each of them. If I steal from someone, well, I'll do some community service, maybe make it up to them. If I kill someone, depending on if it's meditated, premeditated, uh, off the cuff, I'll get five to ten years. I might get life. I might get the death penalty. But I'll probably end up somewhere around 20. Now, if I, if I embezzle some money, I'll probably get around 30 to 40. So we have these we have these levels. There are no levels with God. The white lie is just as just as damning, just I'm just as guilty before the law, before God, as if I murdered a hundred people. And that's hard for us to grasp. That's hard for us to understand. How can this be equal to that? The act itself isn't equal. What is equal is that I'm guilty now. I've broke the law. Okay? So we need to understand that. 
I'm guilty before God. Just as sure as everyone else is. Okay, now move forward from there. The Scripture verse. There is none good but one. That is God. He's the only one good. In other words, He's the only one that's never sinned. He's the only one that's never broken the law. Everyone else has. Now, we have mercy in Jesus Christ. Okay? We have mercy. If we come to Him, it doesn't matter how much sin or how little sin I've done. It doesn't matter. Because that, that attitude that God has about all or nothing, it works both ways. So that ends up being good for us. If I've committed a little white lie and that's it, I have just as much mercy as the person that committed a hundred murders. He has just as much mercy as I do. He has just as much forgiveness with the blood of Jesus as I do. So that works both ways. So that's good. But there are no good people in the sight of God. There are forgiven people. There are people covered in the blood. There are people who are clothed with His righteousness. But there are no good people. There are nice people. There are well-behaved people. And we've talked about this at length. Given the right set of circumstances, every one of us are capable of any atrocity that has been committed in history. And we don't like to think about ourselves like that. We like to think of ourselves as good people. I love my family. I obey the law. I pay my taxes. I'm generally faithful at work. I'm a good person. But by whose standards? By whose definition? By our definition, yeah. Yeah, we would call that a good person. I, I, I like to think of myself as a good person. I try to do right by people. I try to, to give of my time. You know, I, I try to do the right things. I'm a good person, yeah. Not inherently. I've been forgiven. I'm clothed with His righteousness. But Paul says, in Romans 3.12, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And he goes on to include himself in this group. Romans 7.18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, he's not referring to the Holy Ghost inside of him. He's saying, of myself, in my flesh, my natural state, there is nothing good in here. You can look, you can search it out, but you'll find nothing good in me. And I will testify to that with him. If you looked in me, you would find nothing good. Society has molded me to the place where I can obey the law. But again, given the right set of circumstances, would I? If they came down and said, we're not enforcing the laws anymore. Do what you want. Would I still obey the laws? Probably not. Most people wouldn't. I would certainly go a lot faster on the highway than, than 65. 
<clears throat> You're not enforcing them anymore. If they came down and said murder is okay now, no consequences for murdering someone, what do you think would happen? But these are good people. And that's my point, given the right set of circumstances. I admit a lot of these circumstances will be extreme. But people have been placed in extreme circumstances. If you look at the, the guards, the German guards that, that were posted outside of the death camps, they were people who had wives, people who had children. They loved their wives. They loved their children. And they, most of them, a lot of them, were generally horrified by what was going on. But they did it anyway because they were following orders. They were following orders. And we look at them and say, well, you should have known better. But I promise you the time is coming right here in this country where people are going to be following orders. I'm just doing what the government says. I'm just doing what, what they're telling me to do. And they'll know what's wrong. They'll know what's wrong, but they'll do it anyway because they're justified now. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Given the right set of circumstances, we are capable of any atrocity that's ever been committed. We are not good people. God willing, we're saved people. We're forgiven people. Amen. <clears throat> so only through the Spirit of God can we be good in the biblical sense. Only through the Spirit of God can we be good in the biblical sense. I should go back to this, this whole good thing. Because when you understand, and this, is, this is the good side of this. Like I said, this is, this is hard for people to hear, to, to, to realize that that is, that is present within me. But if you truly understand how depraved we are as human beings, how broken, how degenerate because of sin that we come to, to the Lord as. We come to Him as this. With all of this inside of us, we begin to understand at that point what a miracle salvation really is. What a miracle the forgiveness of God truly is. When He looks down on us in His righteousness and in His holiness and He sees us as we truly are. Can you imagine? I've tried to imagine. And I'm... I become overwhelmed with shame when I think of, of how, I, how I came to Him. And I thought I was a pretty good guy. I just needed a bump in the right direction. That's not the truth at all. I was so far gone. And how far he brought me from. How far he brings all of us from. What a miracle. What an absolute miracle salvation really is. That he takes us from that and makes in us something that can reflect him. Wow. So what does goodness look like? There are internal and external qualities that we'll talk about. Uh, internal qualities is generally uprightness of soul. 
uh, moral excellence, purity, personal holiness. Personal holiness is something that is absolutely, uh, it's mandatory. It's mandatory if we're going to be effective for God. We need to have personal holiness. And our ideas of holiness, unfortunately, are shaded by our world today. Our ideas of what personal holiness is, is we, we, we come to that topic with, with all of these experiences that we've had, a lot of them bad, and we come with these presuppositions, especially those of us that came out of the world. Holiness for a lot of people is just being better than the world. The world is not our standard. It has never been our standard. God help us if it ever does become our standard. It cannot be our standard. Our standard is the Word of God. That's our standard. Our standard is Jesus Christ. When we stand before the judgment seat, that's how we're going to be judged. With the Word of God open. Amen. We're not going to be judged by what society we came out of. Okay, and so, you know, when we start talking about holiness, a lot of people immediately go to standards. I'm not talking about standards, okay? I can, I can dress myself like this 24-7. I can go to bed like this. But if I'm not saved, it doesn't matter. If I haven't experienced New Testament salvation, it doesn't matter how I dress. I can't dress my way to heaven. If I'm a woman, I can't keep my hair uncut to heaven. It doesn't matter if I don't have the Spirit of God in me. Okay? So, I'm going to ask us to, to, at least for now, just get standards out of the way. I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about reflecting God's character. If we have holiness in here, the standards are going to take care of themselves. You'll never have to worry about the standards. Okay? You'll never have to worry about them. Let God deal with you on that. I'm very fine, very comfortable letting God deal with people on that. He dealt with me on that. Don't mention it again. <laughs> okay. We're over that now. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> They'll take care of themselves. But the holiness is what we're after. We're not after standards. We're not after, uh, one guy said, putting perfume on a pig. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, still a pig. But if I have holiness inside, if I'm starting to reflect God's character, all of that is going to come out in the decisions I make, the places I frequent, how I dress. That's going to come out naturally. Don't worry about that. Worry about becoming Christ-like. Worry about drawing close to God and letting Him work these things out in us. That's what I mean by personal holiness. Personal holiness is reflecting the holiness of Jesus Christ. Nothing less. And the more we do reflect that, the more potent we're going to be, the more effective we're going to be in witness, in every aspect of our, our spiritual lives, as we reflect God in this area, 
the more effective we're going to be. The external qualities of generosity. Uh, again, kindness to an extent, uh, but being happy to do someone, do something for someone, uh, far more than is required by mere commandment. Okay? This type of generosity toward others is the antithesis to envy. If you're ever feeling envious or jealous of someone, this is the remedy. This is the fix, the cure. Start doing something wonderful for them. Submit yourself to them in, in ministry and service. Pray for them that God blesses them. You're not going to want to. Do it anyway. You'll begin to want to. God will begin to deal with you, and He will take that out of you. I promise you, you don't want to be caught with a spirit of envy. It is a poison, and it is an insidious one. Envy, jealousy, is going to lead to bitterness. And at that point, you're just about done. You get the root of bitterness inside of you, and it's probably going to take God to get it out. Jesus, of course, again, demonstrates goodness continually in his ministry, and he demonstrates it, his goodness to us each and every day. In short, if we can just do what Jesus did, I know that was a kind of a thing a while back, WWJD, but there is some truth to that. More than a cool bracelet or a bumper sticker. It is something that we ought to be considering. How would Jesus respond? How would Jesus act in this, this condition, this situation? What would Jesus' attitude be toward this? Those are good questions to ask. As with the every, every other spiritual grace, uh, goodness comes fully from God, and when it comes from God, it's manifest truly. It's manifest completely. It's not forced. We don't have to force ourselves to do it. We don't do it out of a sense of duty or obligation. It happens naturally. As we draw close to God, we become more like Him. And as we become more like Him, these things start happening in our lives naturally because of, of God living and dwelling inside of us. We don't have to force ourselves to think about it. We don't have to force ourselves to, okay, am I being good today? Am I, am I experiencing joy today? Okay, how do I do that then? Those ought not really be considerations. As we draw close to God, as we allow him to transform us into his image, they start developing in us and manifest themselves naturally, holistically. Amen. Let's all stand.